Hello to you people in the future who are listening to another episode of Voices in My Head. Thank you for joining me today. Over the last few months, I've been honored to bring you great guests like Jason Gray, Sarah Groves, Michael Card, Andrew Peterson, Trip York, and Brian Zahn, just to name a few. It's been my pleasure to bring these podcasts to you, the listener, free of charge. The fact is, though, that there are operating expenses when you do a show like this, so rather than make this a paid podcast, I wanted to give the listeners a chance to help out. The Voices in My Head audience has grown exponentially since I began broadcasting in January of 2012, and there are people who listen from all over the globe. Because of this, and because I want to keep the podcast free, I'm offering you a chance to sponsor an episode of Voices in My Head. Maybe you'd like to dedicate a show to a family member with a message for their birthday, or maybe you'd like to honor a loved one with some sort of special greeting. Perhaps you just want to showcase one of your websites or a business. So to sponsor an episode of Voices in My Head, simply send me an email with your ad to rljames29 at yahoo.com. If I approve your ad, then I'll let you know in a follow-up email. Then simply go to rickleejames.com. Click on the tab that says Tip Jar Podcast Sponsorship, follow the link to PayPal, and then leave your donation or sponsorship amount. If it sounds like a lot, then just send me an email and I'll talk you through the steps. Thank you again for listening to Voices in My Head, and enjoy today's episode. I honor the Holy One inside you. Namaste. Live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head. The official podcast of Rick Lee James. I am Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. If you hear this voice today, do not turn in the window. Check, check, check one, two, check. Check, one, two, three, check, one, two, buckle my shoe, three, four, shut the door, five, six, pick up sticks, seven, eight, lay them straight, sing with me, nine, ten, a big fat hit, uh, you guys know that? Well, if you don't, then, well, no need to sing along with me, if you do know it, you know, rewind this, do whatever you do in today's technology, I know you can't push a rewind button, but back it up, sing it along with me, go ahead, I was checking the mic to get started, but uh, here we go, I'm ch- ch- <clears throat> it's done checking, now I'm done making noises and doing silly things, now it's time for professional broadcasting, Voices in My Head, episode number 20, I'm Rick Lee James, your host, I'm so glad you could join me on this crazy ride that you call a podcast, I've had some great guests in the past, people like Michael Card, Andrew Peterson, uh, Jason Gray, Sarah Groves, Trip York, Matthew Cole, uh, the list goes on and on. And today I am joined by another great guest, Mr. Brett McCracken, who has authored a book that I recommended back on my first couple of episodes, Hipster Christianity, When Church and Cool Collide. It's a great book. If you're a pastor, you need to check this book out. If you're not a pastor, you still need to check the book out. If you're somebody that wants to understand youth culture today, uh, especially the the youth hipster culture, then uh, you you need to check out Hipster Christianity. It is a worthwhile read. It's a, a fun book. It's light, but it has so much uh, depthful information as well. So we're going to talk with Brett here in a little while. I'm going to be playing the interview that I had with him just earlier this week. But I have a few announcements to get out of the way. Once again, September 7th, uh, I wanted to remind you that I'm going to be recording my very first live album, and it's going to be at the Clifton Opera House in Clifton, Ohio. You can find out more about the Clifton Opera House at villageofclifton.com. It's going to be $7 a person to get in. And I really need help on this. We need to fill up the place that night. I need to get good sound. I had a great meeting this week with Out of Truth Records, who they actually take their recording equipment out and do live shows and recording, and got them booked. Thank you, John Finney, head of Out of Truth Records records you guys need to check them out uh they have some great stuff on youtube and they have their own website out of truth.com uh but it's a it's an exciting thing for me my first ever live album i'm going to be doing basement psalms live that's what i'm calling the new album uh the plan is that this live recording with me my acoustic guitar my loop machine uh we're going to do this full album of psalms that i've written well songs that are written from the psalms and uh going to ta- use that as a kickstarter project to go in and do an album uh produced by and recorded by voices in my head guest 
Andrew Osenga. That is the truth, folks. Uh, so uh, come on out on September 7th, 7.30 p.m. Even if you don't live local, I'm giving you enough advance warning. Book a hotel, do whatever you need to do. I need lots of people to come out to this event. Uh, you can actually be on the record because we're going to have a mic in the crowd, so we're going to get that nice crowd feel. But uh, help me, please, get the word out about this. Post it to Facebook. Do whatever you need to do. Get the word out. Get friends, family. If you can sing, especially, because there's going to be a lot of uh, participatory singing that night. I'm going to be inviting you to sing along with me. So if you ever wanted to be on a live album, this is your chance. So September 7th at the Clifton Opera House in Clifton, Ohio. Well, uh, let me see what's next on the agenda here. Oh, just a reminder, if you subscribe to Worship Leader Magazine, I have an article in there called Billy Joel Taught Me How to Pray, which is going to be in the July issue. And uh, they're going to be handing that out at the National Worship Leaders Conference this year. And I'm very excited to be a part of that. Just uh, can't say how honored I am. So uh, if you read Worship Leader Magazine, just a, a reminder, pick that up. Pick a few up for mom. I'm going to try to order as many copies as I can just because if nobody else wants to read it, you know, hey, cool. Got something in a national publication. Well, uh, interesting thing happened to me yesterday. thought I'd kind of get into the podcast this way, telling you a story. I had been working in the afternoon and around 3.30, maybe it was 4 o'clock. I can't remember the exact time. Felt a little rumbly in my tumbly, as Winnie the Pooh would say, and I thought I needed a snack, so I went into the kitchen, kind of looked around, see what we had, and I forgot about this. It's been a long time since I had popcorn, but had a bag of microwave popcorn. I thought, hey, perfect idea. So I did what you do with a bag of microwave popcorn, pulled it out of the plastic, threw the plastic away, opened up that little bag, laid it down flat inside, Shut the door, started the timer for the setting popcorn. I don't know how long that is. It just, we had three settings on the microwave popcorn. And pretty quick after I push start, I'm flattening the popcorn box because we do recycle and we, re- we encourage that here on Voices in My Head. I'm flattening the cardboard box out that the popcorn came in and I hear this like spark and I see this strange light coming from inside the microwave. And I'm so shocked by it. It's you know, maybe five, ten seconds go by before I can get to where the microwave is and the strange light. Look inside the microwave and it is on fire. Yeah, you ever had a microwave on fire? It'll wake you up a little bit. So I immediately stopped the microwave and uh, I thought, well, in interest of not burning down the house or dying, uh, we probably ought to get a new microwave. So uh, as, as you know, fate would have it, God, whatever, um, that's not really bad, didn't it? Like, I, I think God was in charge of this moment. Um, you know, that sounds weird, though, to say that God set my microwave on fire. I'm going to tell you about the God moment that comes as a result of that, okay? Um, not, not to confuse anybody with my story. So anyway, the microwave caught on fire. And uh, I did a little research online to see where I could get a good microwave. Decided Target was probably going to be my best place in Springfield to go. Went to Target, was looking around, grabbed a new microwave, threw it in a cart. I didn't really throw it. Um, I picked it up gently because I didn't want to break the microwave. Uh, Put it in the cart, and here comes my friend Dave Black, who pastors Soma Community Church. Now, this is the God part, okay, in case you're wondering, not the microwave being set on fire part. Although maybe God was in that. I don't know. We'll see one day. Um, questions for heaven. Well, uh, as Dave comes up and he sees me and he says something about, you know, we, who really needs a stove anyway when you got a microwave? You know, some kind of funny comment like that. He said, hey, Dave, how you doing? And, and Dave's buying something, and it turns out he was buying something for the church that he pastors. And I asked him how I was doing. And he said that Soma Community, which is a new start church, it's maybe... Gosh, I, I think maybe four or five years old now. I'm I'm ashamed that I don't know exactly how long, but it's a a new a new church here in Springfield. They are uh, have grown out of their location. They've moved into the YMCA uh, because they just didn't have enough space where they were. I think this is their second or third move in that short amount of time. So it just made me feel good. You know, I was happy my microwave caught on fire. So I got to go and, and hear some of that good news about what God's doing right here in the area where I live in, in Springfield, Ohio. Uh, it's nice to hear uh, that, you know, good things are happening and good things are happening with friends and uh, godly people and that God's blessing the work that they're doing. So Dave Black, if you're listening today, that whole burnout microwave story was just my way of saying, praise God, I'm happy to hear things are going good there at Soma Community Church. 
Well, I have uh, another segment of the show I need to get to quickly uh, because we do want to hear from the interview today. But it's a segment I haven't had in a while. It's that segment that uh, is called... Darn you other Rick James. I actually had an experience that wasn't so bad where uh, someone else knew the other Rick James reference. I can't even remember where I was right now. It's been a few days went by. Either I was buying a sandwich or I was signing for a loan or buying a house. I don't know what I was doing. I I didn't sign for a loan or buy a house, but uh, buying a sandwich doesn't seem quite right. But needless to say, somebody was across the counter from me. And it came to that time where they needed my credit card, needed to see my ID, and uh, I thought they were going to let the chance pass, you know, where somebody makes fun of my name. Hmm, Rick James. All right. Well, uh, it actually happened, and, and the girl behind the counter said, Oh, I I bet you never hear any jokes about that, do you? And I said sarcastically, no, never. And she goes, really? <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, actually, I hear it almost every day. So, oh, okay, I was going to say. So I didn't actually get my name made fun of, but that was what happened with my name this time. So it just goes to prove you have a famous name of another person, chances are, When you show your ID, somebody's going to say something about it. Thanks for joining me for this interesting segment. Darn you other Rick James. Well, I've got more exciting news. At least it's exciting to me because I'm kind of a big comic book nerd. And I'm going to tell you about it right now in a section I haven't done for a little while called... This just popped into my head. It's news to me. All right, news to me today. Uh, this is exciting because I live in Ohio and because I'm a comic book fan. And I know a lot of people think that Superman's kind of a one-note character and there's not much exciting about him. But, you know, there is going to be a new Superman movie next summer and I'm pushing for that. And Superman's always been a favorite of mine. Well, the news headline reads like this. Bill for Superman license plates passes Ohio House. And uh, the article says, Faster than a speeding bullet, the bill to create a Superman license plate has passed the Ohio House and now moves on to the Ohio Senate. So if it can pass at the Senate, I believe from there uh, we get approval and we're going to be able to uh, put Superman on our license plates. The reason for that is his creators were actually from Cleveland, Ohio. That was from uh, News Channel 3 in Columbus. And uh, Kim Wendell wrote the story about it. You can go to News Channel 3, it's uh, WKYC.com, and visit their website, and you can read more about that. But that was just an interesting thing that I came across this week. And uh, for me, if you're a nerd like I am, it was newsworthy. So before long, you know when those license plates come out, I'm going to be sporting them on my car. Uh, That's almost as good as when I used to have fake spinners. They were plastic, and they would spin and End of story. I'm telling some really boring stories today, aren't I? Well, let's move on with the next segment of the show. Question of the week. Well, question of the week is something that just doesn't seem to go away. And question for the week this week for podcast number 20. It's on the Voices in My Head, the Rickley James Podcast Facebook page. You can go there to answer it. You can find links to it at rickleyjames.com if you have trouble finding it on Facebook. Because let's just face it, there's an infinite amount of things on Facebook. Uh, but the question of the week was inspired by our guest, Brett McCracken. And uh, in the book, Hipster Christianity, he makes lots of different references to uh, the kind of styles of hipsters today. And so my question was this. Who is more responsible for bringing back black horn rim glasses into style uh hipsters or geeks and i I noticed that for you know a few years now we've seen uh people wearing the the black horn rim or not even just black just the horn rim glasses it's been going on for quite some time and brett's going to give his answer on the show but the answer from the listeners uh tony james my sister once again wrote in she said horn rim glasses are back in style not so much where I live, I don't think. At least, uh, not that I've noticed. Perhaps I should look around more. Well, Tony lives in North Vernon, Indiana, and in North Vernon, they have to go toward town to hunt. So um, that is probably the reason for that. They they might be a little behind the times. Just kidding. Love you guys in North Vernon. Uh, Matthew Cole says, Billy Joel sunglasses did it. Um, whatever they did, Matt, thanks. And then... Uh, Gregory Fish, one of my favorite responses, his it was Rob Bell with a question mark. So he's wondering if Rob Bell brought those glasses back in style. 
uh, hipsters, geeks, the world may never know, but I think it was probably the hipsters uh, that brought it back into style. I'm excited to be able to talk to you today and uh, tell you, uh, well, actually to talk to Brett. Uh, it was a great interview, and he's going to have some great insights for you about the hipster culture. And uh, really just a nice guy. He was uh, very gracious to, to get on the phone from his office, and there's about a three-hour time difference, so we were able to work it out uh, over Skype. But gosh, you guys really need to go to his website. A um, couple different places, and I'll give it to you again during the interview. Uh, but hipsterchristianity.com is one website you can go to find out more about this topic in particular. Uh, but Brett McCracken also writes often for Relevant Magazine, and he also has a blog called The Search. And you can find that blog at stillsearching.wordpress.com. So I encourage you to uh, to check out stuff that he's read. He's currently writing another book we talked about a little bit and as the interview went on and so i'm not going to delay any longer we're just going to go right into the interview now and i want to just say thank you again to brett mccracken for being on the podcast this week it was uh, an awesome experience to have you as another one of the voices in my head My guest today is Brett McCracken. He's a graduate of Wheaton College and UCLA. His day job is managing editor for Biola University's Biola Magazine. He regularly writes movie reviews and features for Christianity Today, as well as contributing frequently to Relevant Magazine. You can follow him at his blog called The Search at stillsearching.wordpress.com. So Brett McCracken, thank you very much for being my guest on Voices in My Head today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Rick. Well, every uh, every week when I have a guest on the show, we always start with something I call question of the week. And uh, it's a question I put up on Facebook, and uh, I try to, to customize it to each, uh, to each guest that I have on mm-hmm. per week. And so the Facebook uh, listeners and people who are on our, our fan page will actually answer this question. But the question for you for this week as we begin is who do you think is more responsible for bringing back black horn rim glasses into style, hipsters or geeks? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, that's that's like a chicken and egg question. <laughs> um, hmm. You know, I, I I don't know when the the resurgence of those horn rim glasses actually happened. I think I, I'm thinking it was before the the hipster uh, explosion of the of the early 2000s. So I'm going to say the nerds and the hipsters just co-opted it. All right. nerds. Yeah. Good enough. And of course now with all the, the comic book culture coming to movies and everything, you never know. The, the, ge- right. the geeks are ruling the world, you know, so that's how think, it works. Yeah, I think they always have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very true. Well, as we begin today and, and uh, listeners, so you'll know, uh, Brett has written several great things, but I came across a book that I actually got for Christmas. I requested this book for Christmas this year. And uh, the book that Brett wrote is called Hipster Christianity. And it's just a really great study into the hipster uh, subculture and just really what it has to do with following Christ today and uh, talking about relevancy and and cool things. So I'm going to ask you a question right up front. And I know there's a lot of definitions for this. uh, But by your definition, what would you say a hipster is? Yeah, um, well, I, there are a lot of definitions out there, so it's kind of a difficult thing. And, and actually, hipsters kind of, by, nef- by definition, they elude definition. They don't want to be defined, and they're kind of always running from labels and categories. So that makes it even harder to have any sort of agreed-upon <laughs> definition. But the way I define it is basically just like a young, fashionable um independent-minded uh, young person who's kind of contrarian, likes to go against the grain, uh, whether that means going against the grain of fashion or rebelling against the mainstream in terms of uh, taste or aesthetics um, or p- politics. Just a whole range of, of issues, I think, define hipsters. But in essence, it's it's usually young people. It's usually um, people who in some sense want to buck the trends or go against the mainstream. Hmm. And yeah. and it's a very interesting uh, category too. Like you said, it's uh, it's hard to define, but mm-hmm. there's something about 
um, the idea of trying to be hip and cool by really trying hard not to look hip and cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Um, now, now you make a distinction very early on in your book about something that's naturally hip versus something that is marketed hip. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe you could explain just a little bit about mm-hmm. what that is to our listeners. Yeah, I think in the book I, I kind of draw this distinction between authentic cool and then wannabe cool. And uh, I think you can have you can have hipsters, you can have people who are quote unquote cool who are who are that way just uh, by virtue of the fact that that's the type of culture that they're in, that's the type of fashion that they are drawn to and that they like and it's more of more of an organic thing that happens just because of the community that they're in and the friends that they have and the, the way that their uh, cultural interests have gone. Uh, the wannabe cool type is more a little more self-conscious where it's it's striving after cool as such. So it's about status and it's about wanting to like the right things and wanting to know about the right bands and the right fashion so that you can fit in uh, with the trends uh, or stand out. It's a little bit more maybe narcissistic or trying to draw attention to yourself rather than instead of liking something because it's good and you just like it, you like it more for the status that it brings to you. If that makes mm. sense. Yeah. And you ask a great question that leads in uh, from the idea of whether something's naturally hip or whether it's somebody that's just trying to be. And the question you ask is, is Christianity cool? And even should it be cool? And uh, it really uh, – that was fascinating to me just to think about because it seems like um, the church a lot of times – and I, I don't know if I want to say more often than not, but uh, often. I'll just say that. Uh, we run after things because they've become fo- they've become cool in the first place rather than maybe just letting Christianity – you know, be what it is, mm-hmm. and and if if it's cool, that's fine for the moment. Like you know, if if helping the poor is cool right now, well, that's good. But the church shouldn't be doing it just because it's right. cool. You know, exactly. So you you really point out um, that that's something that Christians really need to look at, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, that that's just a great question. First of all, that that you ask is Christianity cool? Mm-hmm. And I really think that. You know, listeners today, especially if you work in a church, it's a, it's a good question. You know, mm-hmm. to ask about yeah. your congregation: Are we supposed to be? You know? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think in many ways that's kind of the the goal or my overarching purpose in the book was to get churches and Christians to think about these questions critically and ask themselves: You know, what are what are our motivations? Are we looking to be relevant in the sense of having um, tab, keeping tabs on the, the latest trends and, and having the right music in our services and having the right fonts in our bulletins and our pastors wearing the right you know brand of skinny jeans like there's, <laughs> there's that kind of like addiction to relevance which I think can become a negative thing and, and can become almost an idol of relevance where we're distracting ourselves from um, more important things now. On the other hand, I think if, if we're doing our thing as, as you know, gospel-centered, Bible-believing Christians who are trying to live out authentically the call of Christ, and that ends up looking cool, um, as you say, if, if, if serving the poor is cool right now, then that's great. But we're always going to do that because that's right. what we're called to. So it's not a bad thing to be a cool church, quote-unquote, if it's not something that you're striving for as such. It, has, it should be more of just an outgrowth of trying to be a faithful community of Christ followers. Mm. Well, while we talk about the way that maybe the church is uh, in some ways like a hipster (laughs) in some ways in that it's always, um, I I guess my Mm -hmm. bias is a little bit towards um, the church sometimes tries to be this marketed hip and this marketed cool. And one thing you point out in your book is that hipsters are defined by the type of media that they consume and particularly in music. And it's not just music. But when I think about, um, you know, it seems like churches, and and I say this as someone who leads worship often, it seems like we're always rushing to find what that next cool song is, you know. And sometimes I feel like the church is is kind of a big embodiment of a hipster sometimes Mm -hmm. that's driving after that. Yeah, and it's 
I think it's frustrating because you know, keeping on on the music subject, I think it's a shame when we're when we're so um, we're so interested in what the new is that we we don't take a moment to just kind of um, take value in, in what is what we have and what has come before us. And, and there's great songs that are being written or have been written that get kind of lost in this this kind of fast-paced cycle where things are disposable and songs that are sung in congregations you know, this year are going to be out of fashion next year and moving on to the next thing. I just think that's unfortunate uh, mm-hmm. in terms of having having like a, a hymnody that is shared um, among the church and, and having common songs that we can all kind of relate to. It becomes harder to have that when the cycle is so fast-moving and, and really the goal is just having the new latest hip music. Sure. In, any thoughts as to why um, I, it might even exceed hipsters, but especially hipsters, um, while the why they will cycle through bands with such exhausting speed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just the nature of, of cool, uh, of hip culture, is that it has to be fast-moving because to be cool is to be on the leading edge. It's to have kind of unique, privileged access to something that the mainstream, the masses do not yet know about. So the way it works is it's kind of like um, picture like a ripple. Like as as something that the hipsters like becomes larger, as the circle enlarges and more and more of the masses know about it, uh, then the hipsters aren't the, the privileged owners of it anymore, so they have to move on to something else. So the, the way that culture is processed these days through new media and social media and everything it just accelerates the process even faster so that once something that the cool kids want a fashion trend or a band or something becomes, you know, cool by the, the fashion elites, soon it will the circle will enlarge and, and the mainstream folks will latch onto it and that's the point when the, the cool kids have to move on. So right. it just forces their hand. They all they always want to be ahead of the curve. They never want to be part of the the, the masses. Um so it just creates that that's why the fashion world like if you look at fashion is built on seasons so it's you know fall winter spring summer seasons and there's there's new trends every season and it has to be that way because in order to to have a cool um center of the fashion world you can't be you can't be showcasing trends that are showing up on the shelves of Macy's you know that's <laughs> that's when you have to move on so yeah <laughs> Well, and and that I love that illustration actually that's in your your book um where you talk about the ripple effect and mm-hmm. what a beautiful way of illustrating um I I guess as believers the place that we should be in the mm-hmm. world and mm-hmm. that we should be the thing that's actually dropping in and causing the ripples to happen right. but the but the ripples are just kind of hang-ons and they're kind of a pale imitation of what the original thing was that made the splash and um, I, I had a conversation a couple weeks ago with uh, the author Ian Morgan Cron, and we were discussing that very thing of, you know, because the church and so many of our people, we don't really spend time in silence and we don't really spend time in prayer like we should um, to allow God to give us his fresh new thing to give to our people. And uh, so often we're just sort of riding those ripples, unfortunately, instead of really allowing God to make that splash with us, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I think that's very true. Yeah. Great, great illustration. Um, now, you say in your book that, and I know you write some for Relevant Magazine, which is a great magazine, and, and you say in your book that the place of the birth of the hipster you're placing it around the time of when Relevant Magazine was first published. And um, and again, there's probably lots of different dates for that, but could you mm-hmm. explain some of your reasoning for that? Yeah, I think I think I, in the book I describe uh, the, the Christian hipster kind of had its origins in the early 2000s, around the, around the year 2003 is kind of where I pinpoint it. That's the year when Relevant Magazine launched. It's the year the Blue Like Jazz, the book, came out um there's there's a couple other like albums and things that that happened in that year that to me it it seemed like a logical place to to point to as the beginning now hipsterdom in the larger sense of in culture i think predates that i think you can trace that back to the late 90s you know early 2000s um but 
really after, I think after September 11th is really when this cultural thing, uh, hipster culture, um, started, uh, and it's just be, become bigger and bigger ever since. Mm. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too the the term hipster, and then when you throw in Christian hipster on top of that. Um, mm-hmm. But when I think about the word, it you know half the word is you know it, to me derives from the word hippie, you know, yeah. in, in some yeah. ways. And the idea that a lot of that movement, I I think sometimes we can talk very negatively about maybe the hipster movement or whatever. But there's actually some very good things, and and one thing about it, especially in in Christian hipsterdom. Um, there is this fervor for social justice, mm-hmm. and uh, in your book you mention people being a real influence like Wesley and Wilberforce and people right. in the church that have been a part of abolishing slavery. Uh, right. in, any thoughts as to why uh, hipster Christian hipsters especially have really latched on to that fervor for social justice? Mm-hmm. You know, I think part of it is is just a reaction against the evangelical culture that a lot of these young Christians grew up in um, in the 80s and 90s. Evangelical culture wasn't really known for social justice. It was known for the culture wars and for televangelism and scandals and all these all these other things that um, kind of gave it a bad rap maybe. And I think these younger generations are, are kind of rebelling against that and wanting to make Christianity more about service and, and actually like loving the world and caring for the world in, in terms of helping solve problems and ease suffering. It's not just about, you know, yelling from bullhorns on street corners and, and ticketing movies and uh, boycotting SpongeBob. You know, it's, it's about like how do, how do we live as Christ to the suffering in the world and bring that light in tangible ways to people so I think I think that's the reason. I think just the nature of globalization and the way that the world has become so much, it confronts us in a very real way these days, perhaps more so than it did 20, 30 years ago. Um, a lot of kids go on, have more access to go on mission trips abroad or study abroad or just experience the world through media and YouTube or whatever. So I think the problems of the world are more present and the the need and the feeling of urgency to um, actually like do something about it is stronger for them as Christians. And you have you know really great speakers and authors and and people who are living this yep. life out. People like mm-hmm. uh, Shane Claiborne comes to mind. You mentioned him, yep. and you know, and he has like real practical ways that I think for young people. Um, there there was a time he works with uh, the Immokalee workers that uh, are right. basically a group of you know farmers who are in poverty. And I heard him speak one time and gave this great talk to teenagers about you know let's think about when you're eating Taco Bell, you know mm-hmm. what what this is doing to mm-hmm. to people. And you know from that side of things, I think man, it's it's a good thing. I'm glad that um, the church is beginning to think in some of those ways again that I think we've ignored for so long that we actually do have a yep. responsibility um, to people. And, um, right. Now you also mentioned that you know art is very important, whether that's uh, whether that's great music or or whether it's cinema or or a, a picture, photography, painting, whatever. And you mm-hmm. say a great line in your book. You say we, that that the hipster motto is sort of that. When it comes to art, we should let art work on us and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And um, can you can you give me um, some examples as to maybe where you're seeing that? You know, where artists are really trying to um, allow art to to work on them, so to speak, and are teaching in churches for us mm-hmm. to let that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think what I was getting at in that statement is is basically like for for a lot of the last. Uh, century when it comes to Christians and how they view art, it tends to be this utilitarian pragmatism where it's about how if we if we have art in the church, it needs to tell a story or serve the function of like clearly articulating the gospel. It, it, it can't just kind of exist as its own like decorative beauty. Um, but I think the the change that you're seeing with younger Christians is that they they are seeing uh, art uh, as having value in itself, just as as a creative pursuit, as something that humans participate in. Um, you know, part of the Imago Dei, are, are, we're created in the image of God. God was a creator, and so are we. We have that potential to create beautiful things. So I think 
you're seeing more of a value of like just creating and, and, and art and culture making is a good thing. Uh, and it doesn't have to tell a story that's clear. It doesn't have to be pragmatic or utilitarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of someone like uh, Makoto Fujimura, who's a Christian uh, painter, and he's really he's well known in the secular world. He's displayed work in New York and Tokyo and all over the world. But his paintings are like abstract; they're non-representational, uh, but they're very uh, deeply uh, informed by his faith and by his convictions as a Christian. Uh, you just can't really see that as directly in his paintings. Uh, so I think that's kind of an example of uh, he's first and foremost um, about the craft and creating beautiful art um, that's informed by his faith, but it's not necessarily beating people over the head with the Christian message. Hmm. And I, I heard uh, Andrew Hendrickson, who is a, an artist here in Ohio, very, very great artist, teaches at uh, one of the universities. Um, I heard him talk one time about art, and he was likening um, – and, and this is going to sound real bad. If if you like Thomas Kincaid, I've, I'm not trying anybody that listens to down that, but he was just <laughs> relating some things like – uh, uh, Thomas Kincaid or other very popular artists that are, again, very utilitarian. They're they're kind of there for a specific purpose. And he had said, you know, he likens that in some ways to when it comes to art being the pornography of the art world because it's not really um, giving you the full context and you're not necessarily seeing reality to it. Right. You're just seeing something that's pretty and makes you feel right. good. And I thought that was a, an interesting way to actually put that. And he said, you know, and, and the artist that you just mentioned, and, and people like him, and um, you you think about people like uh, like the do the gorilla art, and I, Banksy comes to mind immediately yeah, yeah. that are mm-hmm. putting their art out places, and they're not necessarily making money off this art, but they are making statements, and they're trying to get people to think in new ways. And so that's another great thing that the hipster culture is bringing to us. Mm-hmm. Um I want to turn the discussion just a little bit um, to the 18 to 22-year-old bracket because you discuss in your book one thing that that we're always trying to think about, those of us that minister, um, you know, why is it that the 18 to 22-year-olds are just not there in churches, you know, anymore? And one thing that you point out is, you know, in the list of reasons why 18 to 22-year-olds are leaving the church uh, wasn't cool enough, did not make the list. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, technology doesn't seem to impress them because they're inundated with technology and things like that. But uh, I right. wonder if you could just discuss that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. yeah. You know, I, 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 that one thing that pains me the most when I look at these want to be cool churches is, is just, just that, that the young, they think that they assume that young people want their their churches to be just as cool and stylish and you know full of technology and images as the rest of their lives. But my feeling, my inkling, is that young people want the church to be something different. They want it to be a space, a rest, a place where they can have a reprieve from the onslaught of media and images and um, movies and you know, coolness, they experience that in the, every moment of the rest of their lives. They're bombarded by advertisements and commercials and images and just the pressure to look good and be cool. Um, so I think what churches need to remember is that this is, they are, churches are different. They are something unique that offers kind of a um, oasis in this, this maelstrom of inundation of media in the world, and so I think churches should own that and not try to compete and not try to look exactly identical to um, what these kids are experiencing in the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's not to say that churches and pastors should be oblivious to what's going on in their lives. I think it's important to like have a good sense and be plugged into those trends, but we shouldn't just adopt them all you know, without thinking critically about them into our services. I think we need to we need to create spaces in in the church that are um, just a different where we're where we're connecting these kids into the larger mystery of Christianity and the history and the tradition of it. Something that's rooted in something deeper than the flash in the pan trends that are flying by in the the whirlwind of culture around their lives. Uh, the church offers something substantial and rooted and different than that. 
And, and when I hear that too, I I think it's nice to hear that um, for any pastors who are listening, worship leaders, technology people, in some ways that allows us to go and just kind of take a breath for a second and go, you know what? What what we want to offer is Jesus, and right. what we should be chasing, you know, is is God, and yet we're just chasing so many different trends. And what a great thing it is for sometimes for our pastors to just be able to get okay. Let's just take a breath. We don't have to chase yeah. this trend right now. Right. What, what we need to follow is Christ here mm-hmm. <laughs> and allow that to, to be for what it is, you know. And right. how often do we forget that, you know, if when Christ says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And I think we take that and go, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and also if we can just get a video, it looks really cool too. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So – yeah, uh, and and I and again, I you you can use both. I think they both work mm-hmm. together. But again, getting back to the idea of letting letting your personality and even your church's personality shine mm-hmm. through, mm-hmm. and not try to be something you're not. So exactly. I, yeah. I so I so appreciate that you write about that in this book, and you have a great story um, towards the end of the book. And and if you can you know recite some of the details of the story, I mm-hmm. I think our listeners would really enjoy this. Um, and, and the reason I'm asking you about this story is because I think it illustrates for us exactly um, how important it is for the church just to be the church and allow mm-hmm. it to be itself. Mm-hmm. And the story I'm referring to is when you were visiting uh, Hillsong Church in Paris, mm-hmm. and yeah. you had had an experience in a hostel oh, yeah. uh, the yeah. night before. And I uh, just want – would you mind relaying yeah. just a little bit of that story to us because it's really powerful? Yeah, um, I was I was in Paris uh, doing research for the book. Uh, had had gone around to churches all over America, kind of cool or young, young, vibrant churches. So I I wanted to go to Hillsong in Paris. And in my time in Paris, I I usually stay in hostels wherever I travel when I'm alone. So I stayed at this hostel in Paris, and it was one of those like really like party oriented hostels. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if any any of your listeners have stayed in something like that, but essentially you're in a room with like um, 15 to 20 other people, just like big like bunk type rooms. And Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of just wild like partying going on in my particular hostel room. And, um, you know, everyone would go out on like pub crawls late at night. And I was, I was trying to like go to sleep early because I wanted to go to church the next day. And uh, anyway, without getting into too many of the sordid details, um, a bunch of people came in drunk into the room with like friends they had like hooked up with at the bars and mm-hmm. like soon the the bunk that I was on like the person above me it was like shaking and and you know oh. you started hearing sexual noises and it was mm-hmm. just this very awkward like gross experience that yeah. I'm sure many people who stayed in hostels have experienced but and the, I just and the, if I interrupt you just a second, <laughs> as I'm reading that I'm thinking. Yeah. And where do you go? You're in a foreign country in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, like there's no place to go at this point. There's no place to go. All I did was put on my iPod headphones and try to drown it out and, you know, cover my face with my pillow. Um, <laughs> but, you know, long story short, I woke up next morning, Sunday morning, and I just got, got out of there as fast as I could, you know, 7 a.m. or something, and everyone was still sleeping. And I went straight to this church, and I, uh, when I got there, it was just um, – it was just such a contrast to the darkness and the depravity that I had experienced in that hostel room that night. This church was just such a warm, friendly envir- environment. All, you know, all these ho- all these um, greeters wanted to know who I was and, and engage me in conversation, and it was just a vibrant, you know, experience of worship in French songs and English songs. And um, I just, to me, it was just such a it was such a picture of what the church has to offer. What they have to offer is something different. Uh, You couldn't find more different things than what I experienced in that hostel room and then going to this church in Paris. It just felt like light in the darkness, and it felt like life. And uh, I just think that that's what we as the church need to remember is that we, when we try to be like the world and try to adopt so many of the customs and the the um, trends that are going on in the world, we become, we lose that distinction and we lose that um, that kind of vibrant light that sets us apart in an attractive way. So uh, it, I think this church, you know, it didn't, 
it didn't have all the bells and whistles. It, it met in kind of a rented uh, auditorium at a school, I believe, and it was it was just a group of of loving um, people who were very passionate and alive uh, with Christ, and you could sense that and feel that. Mm. And I didn't feel like an outsider. I was about I was such an outsider. I was an American tourist, didn't speak French, but I didn't feel that way. I felt immediately plugged in. I felt at home. I felt like I was home. And I think that's what churches should feel like. Hmm. Well, that's that's a great story. Some of my uh, my best friends in the world, they um, love Paris and, and go frequently. So I might have to tell them about that church when they go back. Yeah, but, uh, yeah it, was, it was a great experience. Well, th- this is, has been really great. And I so appreciate, um, well, let me just say thank you again for the book. I mean, I think it's a very necessary thing and I want to recommend it to uh, any ministers that we may have, uh, especially because I think it says some good things that maybe we should be thinking about. But even if you're not in any sort of ministry position, it's just a, a very good read. And it's even it's funny in places. I mean, it's it's just very um, it's it's a real uplift to read. So thanks for writing that. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Now I I do want to ask you because this book came out in 2010. Is, is mm-hmm. there anything that you'd like to to highlight? Maybe that you're currently working on, or that you'd like any of my listeners to know about today? Well, I I am working on a new book. It's about um, three quarters of the way done, so I'll probably finish it this summer, and it'll be out in in 2013 most likely. But it's about a similar uh, realm of Christians and culture and how we relate to culture. This new book is more focused on kind of practical advice for how we can be better consumers of culture and better uh, engagers and interpreters of pop culture. So as someone, I've been a film critic um, for many years, and I've I've written about culture and um, just I just love that area of of how to engage that as a Christian. So mm. this book is just kind of a um, a guide for how can we be better consumers in this world as as Christians, not not looking at it um, from this kind of fearful perspective where we're afraid that we'll be tainted by it or by the worldliness of it, but also not not kind of too liberal in, in our consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't want to just receive everything out there in culture uncritically. Mm-hmm. Um, so my book is kind of like what's in middle ground between legalism and license in terms of how we engage and consume things in culture. Well, that's great. Do you have a title for that yet? Uh, there isn't a title yet, um, but hopefully – we're in talks, uh, with me and the publisher, so hopefully soon Great. there will be a title, so stay tuned on my blog for updates. Well, I always want to ask um, people who are good writers to uh, give me your advice. Um, who are you reading right now? Anybody that, that really is standing out to you as a, a favorite author? You know, uh, I just finished Marilyn Robinson's new book. I don't know if you've read much of Marilyn Robinson, but she's about the smartest Christian I've I know who's alive. She's she's just a brilliant uh, essayist, and she wrote she wrote some uh, award-winning fiction books. Gilead won the Pulitzer Prize um, a few years back, and but her most recent book is a book of essays, and it's just um, a really important um, book. I think it's called When I Was a Child. I read books. Oh, so I would highly recommend that. I'll have to check that out. Great. Well, anything else that you would like to share? I, I mentioned earlier as we started this, your your blog is uh, stillsearching.wordpress.com, mm-hmm. and there's a website for the Hipster Christianity book that's called hipsterchristianity.com. Is there anything mm-hmm. else that you would like to, to tell the listeners about? Um, I'm on Twitter. If you guys are on Twitter, it's just Brett McCracken at, on Twitter. Um, feel free to connect with me on Facebook if you're interested in my stuff. Um, yeah, um, I'm honored if you pick up a copy of my book. I, I have been really privileged to be able to speak about it, and um, I love doing interviews about it. So great! thank you for inviting me on the show. Well, well it was uh, my honor that, to have you as one of the voices in my head today. So thank <laughs> you so much for being on here. My pleasure. Well, I'm going to stop the recording right about here.
man, am I getting some good guests on here or what? Brett had so much good stuff to say. I, again, encourage you to go to his website, The Search, which is found at stillsearching.wordpress.com. And uh, hipsterchristianity.com is another place to go. Hipster Christianity, the book, is uh, published through Baker Books. So I'm sure you can find that just about anywhere you go online that sells books, especially Amazon. While I'm on that topic, if you go to my website, www.rickleyjames.com, you don't even have to put the triple W's in if you don't want to. Uh, if you go to the uh, the link that says Rick's Amazon Store, um, you can go to the category of books and actually find uh, Hipster Christianity through there, as well as many other things. And anything you purchase on Amazon, uh, if you go through my site first, um, a small percentage of that purchase will actually go to support my ministry, things like this podcast, my music ministry, um, just uh, all the stuff that I do. So I just wanted to, to make that quick little plug. Uh, I encourage you to go buy Hipster Christianity, even if you don't use my site, obviously. But if you think about it and want to go to my Amazon page and uh, and you know help support the ministry a little bit with that, that would be awesome. I really appreciate it. So check out that book, Hipster Christianity. Um, it, it is a really good read. I just can't emphasize that enough. Have I said it enough times today on the podcast? And I, I'm really only saying that because I believe in the book so much. It's so well written. It's so informative, and it's going to shed some light on a lot of things. Um, just a lot of things that if if you are wondering, you know, how to reach out to people of that generation and that mindset, that's going to be a lot different than the older people in your congregation. It really would benefit you to read this book. It's it's very good stuff. So thank you again, Brett. It was a pleasure having you on Voices in My Head today. I'm going to end the show there. Uh, wow, we were, we're under an hour today. Let's. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to keep it just a little shorter than I know some of them have gone over. So if I would stop talking, then I actually can finish it out right now. Thank you so much, listeners, for being a part of this today. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, if you've enjoyed uh, Voices in My Head, it does help me a lot, and it helps my visibility if you go to places like iTunes and leave a review. Uh, it'll actually help the podcast be seen the more reviews that we get on there. So feel free to stop by iTunes and leave a review. Uh, I, and it always makes me feel good and just leaves some encouragement, and it helps me know that I'm not just talking to thin air uh, when I'm here on the podcast. And I know there's about 1,800 of you or so out there that are listening now, and I'm thankful for every one of you. Uh, uh, feel free to drop me a line sometime. Go to my website. There's ways to communicate with me through there. And I really do want to hear from you and, and hear what you're thinking about the podcast. I'd love to get your suggestions uh, for future guests on the podcast. And uh, it's my pleasure, as always, to bring you Voices in My Head every week. Thanks for listening to episode number 20 of Voices in My Head. God bless you, and have a great one. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. You can also download my free mobile app from iTunes and on the Android Marketplace. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless. Sit, Ubu. Sit. Good dog.